Welcome to another episode of the Seminar This is L. KB. Hashtag feminism. African queen. African queen. Three black black women. Where's the lie? Hi, guys. How are you? You sounded so nasally with that one. I know. I didn't mean to. I'm just feeling very excited and very giddy because my locks are getting long and my waist is getting snatched. Ooh. I'm just playing. It's too early for it to get snatched, but I am losing something. No, it's not. Okay. It's never too early. <laughs> it's never. We never go tell you that. Okay. All right. So okay. I feel good. My skin is clear. Like if y'all see me, I have a nice little natural glow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I made dinner tonight. I made jambalaya. It was delicious. So okay. yeah, I'm doing okay. pretty good. You're doing good. Myself. How are you doing, Shook? I'm moody. I'm hormonal. My skin is not glowing. I am tired. Why, um, why are you always hormonal? She's always going through something, KB. No, because my um my thing is off. Okay. So I'm trying to get that on track. Excited Hell, about not walk having away. Walk um, okay. away. KB, <laughs> how are you? Thank you. Well, I have my drink. I see. I have a, a quiet home. Work is crazy. Uh, getting ready for the new school year. Yeah, and yeah, that's about it for me. Oh, I still Wait, have to the, I'm still on a sick and shut-in list. I'm still walking around the, with a shoe. When does school start? So we're a little later. We're after Labor Day. So we start right after Labor Day. No, yeah. so okay. y'all are a week behind us. We yeah. go back on the 31st. And I've kind of decided to switch my daughter's schools. So we're going to leave oh. the charter school. And I'm going to be going back to paying tuition. So I can't ball out like I've been balling out for the last year and a half. And yeah, that's it. That's my story right now. So I'm looking okay. for a sponsor. You know, that's the next thing for me. Oh, so okay. can I can I be honest with y'all? Mm-hmm. Sure. So I have been saying this for a while now. Like, I really would not mind having a sugar daddy. I just don't want to have to give him no sugar. Yeah, I don't want an old man. I'm Good sorry. luck with that. They they want something. It ain't just gonna be you just reaping the benefits. Oh. You you gonna have to give some up. And hence why I'm single and sponsorless. Okay. <laughs> I just I want you to to know that, but I'm glad you're aware. Oh oh, I got something new. I think yeah. I found a therapist. I had to reach out to so I can Yay! stop running away from relationships. What? Look what? at 2020, opening people's eyes and making them do some self-reflection. I'm here for it. Yes, KB. Yeah, so hopefully I can address my issues. So yes, Lord, finally. So I can stop anxiety, anxiety attacks when somebody tell me they love me. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. And Good then girl. killing the relationship. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. I'm not, oh, you know what? I might hurt somebody's feelings. Let me stop. <laughs> hurt somebody's feelings. Just edit that out. It's okay. Keep moving. <laughs> ah. Moving right along. So, Uncle Joe, wait. 
Can't be no. He he ain't my uncle. No you better stop saying Uncle Joe. Uh, well, I'm he just glad he finally announced who his running mate was going to be. Am I excited about his running mate? No, no not for a number mm-hmm. of reasons. One being, I think that she would have been better served in his administration as Secretary of State. No, I'm sorry, not Secretary of State. That's Attorney right. General. As Attorney General, right. Or even on the Supreme Court. I could mm-hmm. almost see her there, but she definitely should have been Attorney General rather than Vice President. But that's the first thing. The second thing is, I kind of feel like it's pandering a little bit because of all of the racial issues and tensions that have been brought to the forefront in this country. And my cousin actually pointed this out to me earlier. I kind of wish, and I think should, you and I were on the same wavelength, that he should have picked Elizabeth Warren. However, Mm -hmm. Elizabeth Warren is a little too far to the left for middle-of-the-road Joe. Yeah. But am I still going to support this Biden-Harris ticket? Absolutely. Yes. Get me a t-shirt. Get me a pen. Get me a bumper. Well, not a bumper sticker because I can't remove it. Get me a car magnet. Like, let's go. I'm ready. No, but I'm still looking to the the AKAs, particularly Alpha (laughs) Chapter. I need y'all to be leading the charge. I need you to lead the charge. You need to be knocking on doors. <laughs> I need y'all calling people. So here, so here's the, the thing. Line. So here's the thing. They are like us. You cannot endorse a candidate as part of your or as a representative of your organization. However, There's ways to get around that. However, if the ladies of pink and green are the Thank supporters you. of pink and green, the women of green and pink, pretty ladies. Yeah, pretty girl. I don't even believe nothing hair. y'all saying right now. I just want to say that. I feel like wait, wait, what <laughs> y'all, throwing, y'all are throwing shade right now. Oh I don't believe God. nothing y'all saying. <laughs> just going to say that. Now, you know, good <laughs> and hell well, if he had picked Keisha Lance Bottoms, we would be out he, here full force. Already. Oh, the we Reds would be right in now. the building. Thank you. The right. Reds would be right out. Now. Out. Right. Right. Hey, when when they did that little lawsuit, the little governor did the lawsuit against Keisha Lance yeah, Bottom. showed up. What we the Reds showed up did. And showed out. Girl, Boom. showed up and showed out. Boom. Yep. So here's exactly. the thing. I feel like on the pandering thing, I only got upset when I also heard that the CBC had placed a candidate that they wanted him to pick. And then I even heard other people saying, if you don't choose a black woman. Why did it need to be a black? Listen, we got to get this man up out of office. We got to get Trump up out of here. I wanted who would, you know, be the best candidate that would make America feel comfortable. So I mm-hmm. was okay with Elizabeth Warren because I felt like the folks that wanted Bernie Sanders, that was like... Would have best, voted for her. Uh, exactly. Mm-hmm. Now, I understand yep. that she is like super liberal and maybe a little too far left for Biden, but I felt like that was still a good option because it would still make white America feel okay. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, I get it. And then... I don't know. I just thought that Susan Rice would have been next up. I don't know. No. I don't know why I keep saying that. I know you guys said she don't have the notoriety that Kamala has, but I did think Susan Rice would be next up. But listen, like you guys said, hell, I'm voting for him. So mm-hmm. let's keep it moving and right. let's not get distracted by the little shit. Exactly. So in addition, since you mentioned, mentioned 45 earlier, somebody else who wants to kill us is the governor of Florida, 
<laughs> because he just signed an executive order that said restaurant workers do not have to test negative to work or test negative for COVID-19 to go to work. Listen, I sent my family because y'all know I'm the, I'm the only one on the podcast from the FLA. Okay. Yes, but my daddy lives in Florida. Your daddy do live up. My whole family is there, right? Like a majority yes. of my family is there. I sent my mom and sister that last night and I'm like, I think I got to stay away from the restaurants for right now yeah. because this is stupid. Like to even say like, who wouldn't want that extra layer of comfort to know, right? Mm-hmm. Like to say, oh no, oh, after 10 days, it's no longer shed. Nah, I want you to have two neg. I love the idea of having two negative tests to say you can come back in. What are the hospitals doing? I want to follow what the hell the hospitals are doing. Exactly. The, the hospital, they're overcrowded. But um, No, I'm saying so, that, uh, you know how, yeah, you know, the healer was kind of telling us it. you have to have that negative test. Like, I think they even have to have it twice. Like, I want whatever the damn hospital employees do. That's what the hell I want for my restaurants. Right. I get it, but I feel, I feel like this is going to keep us, like, truth be told, I don't even think this is going to be over in 2021 at the way that we're going. That's unless Biden and Harris actually win the White House because until they enforce it to where the whole country is shut down for two weeks minimum, like everybody sit down, nobody do anything, we're going to continue to have cases on the rise because people just are not taking this as seriously as it needs to be taken. So until we shut down borders and we make everybody stay in place, we're in this vicious cycle of everybody's going to be sick. Exactly. So I don't understand. That's why y'all should have voted for Andrew. Y'all wouldn't have had these issues if Andrew would have won. Hmm. Wait a minute. Um, hmm. We're not gonna do that today. Yeah, we're not. Hmm. Yeah, I can't. We're not gonna do that today. Mm-mm. Yes. No. Yeah. No. Nope. 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 We're not. Pressing on. <laughs> <laughs> so we all know we the three of us are products of NHBCU and not just an HBCU. The greatest HBCU this side of heaven. Hey. This whole yes. went and got her sweater for real. I did. I, I did. <laughs> and our, I cannot. So, so we know amidst all the strife and the protests and everything that has been going on, that a number of Black athletes have decided to attend HBCUs where within the last 10, 20 years, the trend has been them not attending HBCUs and going to PWIs. And one basketball player to note, McCor Maker, did I say his name correctly? McCor? We don't know, but we're going to rock with it. Okay, great. So he is a six foot 11 power forward who made the decision on July the 3rd to attend Howard University over going to UCLA or Kentucky. And he is the highest ranked player in more than a decade to choose an HBCU. And when he made his decision, he was quoted as saying, I want to inspire the youth to be able to lead in whichever way they can. I'm doing it by taking this step. Hopefully in one or two years from now, we'll see HBCUs as power schools. So us being the women that we are really wanted to delve into this topic, right? And really find out a couple of things. One, is this temporary? Two, are HBCUs now going to have to step their game up 
a little bit to be more competitive with PWIs when it comes to recruiting top and, and, and to me, what does that mean to step up the game? Because I, right. you know, I just be on some, I feel like academic wise, we're already there. Of course. We may not have the facilities that the white schools have, but academic wise, I mean, you can't compete with us. When I walk in a room, you can't compete with me. I'm so sorry. You know what I mean? Like, it's just not even a thing. So I'm sorry. Go ahead with your little numbers. I'm going I'm to I'm say what I got to say there. Go ahead. No. Let me get so in there. So Fabian Shug, what do y'all think? What are your thoughts on this? I have been talking about this, I don't know how long, from, you know, we need someone to, like, take that first step and, like, make it happen. Because if you think about what who's playing at these PWIs, hell, it's us. Like, their teams would be nothing. Their schools would be nothing. Their alumni wouldn't be given back like they, they are today. And even from people saying, oh, what are we going to do without sports? Because of COVID, like, your sports system wouldn't even be what it is if it wasn't for us playing. So I always knew that it had to be a generation that was willing to take that, quote-unquote, sacrifice where it may not necessarily pan out in the beginning, but it will at some point. I knew it had to be someone to do that. And I'm going to tell you, like I told y'all before, this this generation here, they're not millennials. What you call this generation right here? What you call them? They're Gen Y or Z. No, I thought, aren't they, I don't know, whatever. They whatever wear. they call. Listen, they wear tight pants and they wear weird clothes and they look weird to me, but they are impressing me in other areas. That's what I'm going to say about them. Because they have had this fearless act of going out and just doing something different and not being afraid. Like, I feel like for millennials, like, take us for instance, we ain't held to no job. Like, I was just having this conversation with another friend, and we're not happy with a situation. We're okay with walking away from that situation. Whereas our parents stayed at a job for 20, 30, 40 years, we kind of on a five-year, you know, turn, and we're okay with that. You know what I'm saying? Like, y'all know, I talk about this all the time. I was going to walk off the job last year. I had counted up my savings. Like, okay, let's wrap this on up. I'm not held to nothing because it has to be a satisfaction factor for me as well. So with that said, I think that has gone to another level with this generation. Like you said, is it a fad? I hope it's not. I hope it's something that really takes up, you know, some, some feet to it. And I think it's overdue. Because if you think about, again, how historically Black colleges and universities got its start, it was because we couldn't go to these other schools. Mm-hmm. So if you think about the things that we were able to do without white people, what can we do if we ban and really, you know, focus on our own universities and building those and making those great, continue to be great institutions that also now have the sports to show it to. Shug, any thoughts? So with that, I'll say I'm happy that top athletes are now considering HBCUs, but I think there's a lot that needs to take place. So I think that's happening, one, because just of the climate that we're in right now, like with seeing Breonna Taylor and George Floyd and, you know, all of these people being killed by the police and, you know, America can no longer deny that is just, okay, we're tired and we're taking a step back and we're looking at the system is not for us. It's never been for us. So now it's time to start pushing back. But then also too, when it comes to choosing HBCUs, I'm going to charge us as to, we got to step up our game. So it's like, you know, these PWIs are attracted to these athletes for a reason because they have money. So then also, you know, with us being 
alums of the HBCU, we also need to take a look in the mirror and say, what are we doing? How are we giving back? What are we doing to help these athletic programs be competitive with PWIs so that we can retain top black athletes and attract them to consider our universities and colleges as options. So that's my input with it. Like, what are we doing? Yeah. Yeah. Great points. So I'm very excited about our two guests today. Our first guest is Dr. Ashley White, and our second guest is Coach Quentin Burrell. Mr. Quentin Burrell was born in Monroe, Louisiana, and while he was an Army brat, he did spend his middle and high school years in Decatur, Georgia. Coach Burrell was a star defensive back football player while at Southwest DeKalb High School in Decatur, Georgia. He is the great-grandson of legendary coach Eddie Robinson from Gremlin State University. Coach Quinton was recruited to play at Notre Dame football program as a defensive back and was a two-year starter, three-year letterman, and earned the privilege of being a captain his senior year. During his career at Notre Dame, Burrell made two bowl game appearances with the Fighting Irish, the 2003 Gator Bowl, and the 2004 Insight Bowl and had five career interceptions. Burrell earned his bachelor's in the College of Arts and Letters from Notre Dame in 2005. Quinn Burrell is currently serving as the wide receivers coach at Grambling State University. Welcome, coach. Welcome, hey. coach. Hey, hey, how y'all doing? He, he, not, he not the coach for, you know, our school that's greater, but, you know, we gonna let that ride for the day. So, yeah. it's okay. All HBCU love. It's HBCU love for sure. So I get oh, the yeah. pleasure of introducing our next guest who I've known for 20 plus years. We don't tell our age. I think I said my age on this podcast. Yeah, before, you, you but just I'm going did, to though. not worry about it. Anyway, <laughs> so Dr. Ashley L. White is an assistant professor at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Before her time at UW, Ashley served as the 2019-2020 Joseph P. Kennedy Public Policy Fellow, serving on the Committee on Education and Labor under Chairman Robert Bobby C. Scott. Before earning her PhD from the University of South Florida, Ashley taught for 13 years. Dr. White has also interned at the U.S. Department of Education Office of Special Education Programs and for the U.S. Congresswoman, Kathy Castor, where she worked on disability and educational policy. Dr. White is particularly invested in studying practice and policy solutions for multi-marginalized students and individuals with disabilities, specifically those impacted by disability and ethno-racial identities. Ashley envisions a form of restorative policy as a way to address the historical and present inequities that persist for individuals with disabilities at large. Her most current research includes the investigation of race and disability related to African-American student-athletes in Division I programs at predominantly white institutions of higher learning. So we want to welcome both of our guests. And just based off of your bio, uh, Dr. White, I want to kick this off and maybe even ask you the first question around, could you kind of describe for our listeners the research that you've done in that particular student-athletes race in PWI? So as it pertains to race, I also intertwine issues of disability because historically they run parallel. Um, and while they are not the same and one does not equate to the other, 
they really do speak to big issues in disenfranchisement in the U.S. and in our communities, particularly in our black and brown communities. And so um, in addition to my teaching experiences, so I say all that to say my dissertation acknowledged both of those identities. And I conducted a qualitative study, interviews, talking to student athletes who were starters and students with learning disabilities at predominantly white institutions, division one programs, just to kind of get their experiences and to hear their perspectives about their educational experiences, P through 12, as well as their student athlete experiences in these predominantly white institutions. And the data interviews were beyond magnificent. They had so much valuable information to provide. Okay. So just also to ask, you know, this is a question for both of you guys. What do you think about the shift that we're seeing as a result of, you know, of course, George Floyd's murder by police officers in Minneapolis? We're starting to see the shift of people talking more about going to home. I call it going home to uh, HBCU institutions, especially student athletes who have, you know, for so long really targeted PWIs in particular. So any thoughts from either of you just about that whole movement and your thoughts as far as uh, that goes? I think it's exciting, but at the same time, I think time will tell as far as it to to basically see if this is just a, a once in a lifetime deal or this is something that's going to be significant for the next, I would say, 10 to 20 plus years with guys uh, seriously considering going to HBCUs, consider, you know, not going to Power Five. So, mm-hmm. Dr. White, your thoughts? I think, too, we, we can't forget that this isn't new. There was a time when a plethora of Black athletes were, were emerging from HBCUs. Like, there was a time when that was more of the norm than it is now. And so we have to remember that this isn't really a new movement. And also think about the fact that if we don't want it to be a fad and a passing trend, we have to think about ways to be intentional to make sure that we do what we need to do to ensure that it doesn't become a trend and just something to do for the moment. I think that's kind of what you guys were speaking to in the beginning about the importance of being intentional and doing what we need to do in all of our spaces to make sure that we can sustain this new movement. Yeah. What I want to ask Coach real quick, him coming from a PWI, and, and, and both of our guests actually come from PWIs, what made you go to a PWI? You know, being that you come from this lineage of greatness from Grambling State University, how did you make that decision to not choose to go to an HBCU with your talents? Um, for me, honestly, it was, it was easy. I was heavily recruited as a high school athlete. And to be honest with you, when you have full scholarship offers to the University of Alabama, Georgia Tech, Notre Dame, Tulane, uh, what else did I have? Uh, LSU. And then you had the rest of the HBCUs. It was, to me, it wasn't a comparison because I grew up and I was fortunate enough to grow up in the HBCU realm because of who my grandfather was. So I knew how it, how it was in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, and even how it became you know, the the trend of all the black kids going to basically white schools now. I think we kind of lose sense of the amount of resources and the powers that these schools have, the power fives. And it was it was more attractive to me because I had aspirations of playing on the next level. And I felt that Notre Dame was going to provide me with those tools to get me to the next level compared to an HBCU. It was nothing personal, um, but I felt that for me to get where I wanted to go, Notre Dame was the best option for me from a resource standpoint for what I wanted to do personally. 
And Dr. White, why did you choose to attend your undergrad institution? I'm so glad you guys asked that question. Um, we don't really want to know. Yes, you do. Hey, can yeah, we do. Shut up. I want to know. Yes, I, I, I'm so glad because I love all this HBCU love. And actually, I wanted to go to an HBCU. I applied to several and got in. But I think even we in our positions, we have to remember the level, different levels of privilege that we come from. I went to the school that gave me the most money because mm-hmm. I come from a single parent household and I had to get where I could get and make it easy on my family. I didn't have the luxury of choosing any school I wanted to go to just because they let me in. And while I wanted to go to FAM, Florida State gave me more money and that was better for me and my family. So th- those are things we have to consider, right? Um, I applied to several HBCUs in and out of the state, but I couldn't go. I couldn't go. It wasn't, it was, I was just applying for fun. And I say that I think it's important for us also to consider when we're talking about what we need to do with these student athletes to remember we are talking about people's lives and to be sure to check our privilege at the door and allow them to make the decisions that are best for them. And if we want them to make decisions that are more socially conscious or more in alignment with advancing the Black community, we need to create spaces so that they can do that. And, and so I think those are things we need to consider when figuring out how to keep this movement going, right? But I, I wanted to go to an HBCU. It just, it wasn't possible for me. I completely agree with what she just said because just knowing a lot of, see, it's, it's different being a student athlete and just being a regular student because a lot of the black students, just regular students at Notre Dame, they were, came from kind of the same background that I came from. I grew up in a pretty much a, a single parent household. It was just my mother. My mother worked two jobs and it was the money wasn't like that. But you had a lot of black students that went to Notre Dame went because they offered the most money. One of my best one of my good friends, she wanted to go to Spelman, but Notre Dame offered her damn near a full ride just for academics because she was an A1 student compared to Spelman, where she was probably going to be in debt if she did go to Spelman. But Dick Spellman was her dream school. But Notre Dame came with that money because of the black. They wanted black students. They right. wanted more black students. So they upped the ante and she ended up going to Notre Dame. So I can relate totally. But me being a, a student athlete, it was complete. It was a completely different experience from being just a regular, regular black student at a power five. I get that. I guess I'm, I'm going to jump in and say. I understand it. And I I hear you, you know, Ash, on the whole check your privilege at the door. But I also feel like it's something greater. Like if I have to go and take this student loan out to attend an HBCU, I'm going to get an experience that I'm not going to get at this PWI. And the reason I'm saying that is because I've had now the opportunity to go to both an HBCU and a PWI. So now I see the difference. I, you know, you know, I went and got my MBA from Drexel. So now I have this experience of, sitting in class at an HBCU where there's just this unspeakable, and I know, Coach, you know that now having taught at an HBCU, see what it is, how, you know, professors take just an extra level of care with you and really want you to succeed. I can't even say that I would have done anything different, even if I would have got a full ride with somewhere, but I think maybe that's just me because I feel like the cause is so much bigger than me and me supporting these kind of universities. And I am a second generation Rattler. So maybe that's also the privilege that I've had the chance to have the family to go there. But I I get it. I hear what you're saying. Like for me, I just, I don't know. I just want us to like think greater. I, you know, in the healthcare field, my first job out of residency, I was able to get 
a portion of my tuition paid back. So even though I had to take these student loans out, I did get a scholarship, but even though I had to take some student loans out, I was able to get some of that back. So I don't know. I just feel like we got to think, you know, five years ahead, 10 years ahead, and just not always sit in the moment of what we going to get or what's going to be different. I don't know. What you think? So, well, before, because I know Ashley and Quentin want to make a comment to what KB said, but I have a quick question because I kind of want to go back to a comment that Ashley made earlier when it comes to how HBCUs can attract more students, especially when it comes to athletics, right? Because that's what we're really focusing on. So aside from money and scholarships, what is the next biggest hurdle? Because I think we all can kind of agree that it's the scholarship money, right? That is really the decision maker. So is there another hurdle or is there something else that HBCUs have to overcome in order to attract top student athletes? So I'm going to let, I'm going to let Ashley go first and then Quentin. I'm sorry, Coach Burrell. I just want to say real quick, (laughs) because <laughs> um, you probably know more about this since you since you actually are coaching at an HBCU. But I will say that I think there are components that make this work, right? It's not just scholarships. It's not just money. I will say this, what I've learned in my research as well, is that just because a Black student athlete is at a PWI, that doesn't mean they're financially taken care of the way that they should be. That's mm-hmm. a whole nother issue. Really? Yes. That's a whole nother topic I won't go into today because as as good as they are taken care of, there's still a lot of inadequacies in that area, even at PWIs. But what I will say is one of the things that makes PWIs and these Power 5 schools and D1 schools so so attractive is the media coverage. And a lot of it has to do with the media contracting and who's getting television coverage. Also, who's competing against who? So which schools... What are these schedules looking like? Who's competing against who? And what does that say about the level of competitiveness and how that translates into the quality of a player, right? That's all I'm going to say on that. And I'll let Coach Quentin Burrell, um, Coach Burrell handle the rest. Are you good? I I completely agree. Um, I think I'm also getting my master's too from Grandma State University too. So I'm kind of getting the best of both worlds. But that's that's another story. We can go back to that hopefully. But I think the biggest thing that HBCUs need to do is it's more so, and just this is talking to kids who have took visits to HBCUs and had end up going to uh, not necessarily Power Five schools, but Group of Five schools like the University of Memphis's, Central Florida, South Florida schools like that. And they've said the biggest thing is just the the resources and, and and little things as far as upgrading your facilities, upgrading your your weight room, upgrading your field, things of that nature that attracts a lot of the youth today because a lot of a lot majority of these kids are visual kids and we've had transfers that have come from the university of texas texas tech big schools that have come to us and said coach and i can relate like the the culture and just the whole atmosphere of a hbcu is unmatched and this is coming from somebody who went to university of notre dame and you were two two percent of the population of wow. 10,000, you know what I mean? That's unmatched. But as a student athlete, when I take a visit and I see that your your medical facilities, your weight room, your locker room, you don't even have a team room, you don't even have a, a, a legitimate academic center, is subpar. Me, as a student athlete and, a, and as a parent, I have to look at all that because I want what's best for my child if he has the opportunity to get top-notch 
of everything. And I think HBCUs need to do a better job of putting their resources together to do small things as far as just upgrading their facilities. And I think that could be a start and that could attract more student athletes. Okay, so question for the both of you guys. Do you think attending an HBCU hurts an athlete's chances of going pro? Especially, Coach, since you made a comment about you chose Notre Dame Mm -hmm. because of your, you know, plans of going pro and so forth. Mm -hmm. You know, what, yeah, your thoughts both from both of you guys. I wouldn't necessarily say it hurts you, but it doesn't help you. For the simple fact that when you talk to pro scouts today, the first thing they say is when you go to a HBCU, you have to dominate. That individual has to dominate his level of playing. What I mean by that is HBCUs are known to be a lower level FCS school. So they want you to dominate your conference, basically. You have to stick out like a sore throne for them to even really hone into you, to even invite you to a, a prospective bowl game. I don't think it's fair, but that's the perception that scouts and, and the NFL have of HBCU athletes. Because me personally, especially I'm going on year five here, the biggest difference I've seen with the athletes between HBCUs, group of five, and power five kids is really the offensive and defensive linemen. They're smaller, but the skill guys, you can pluck some skill guys from HBCUs and plug them at the University of Wisconsin, plug them at the University of Notre Dame. You know what I mean? Because those kids come a dime a dozen, in my opinion. It's just that the interior guys, the linemen who are 6'6", 6'5", 6'4", across the board, they're going to be at the Power 5 schools. Whereas at a FAMU or a Gremlin, your tallest player on the offensive line or defensive line is going to be 6'5". And everybody else is going to be 6'1", 6'2", 6 feet. That's the biggest difference you see. Along with, too, I hate to, to go back to what I was talking about. Another thing, too, you got to think about a lot of these kids from where they come from. When you're at a Power 5 school, most of the Power 5 schools, you get a check every month, too. A cost of attendance check. Mm, okay. Not I, to mention... I thought not they couldn't mention, pay the students. I thought that was a big argument with California. And, no, it's, it's, oh. a, it's, a way they, it's a way they get over that. It's oh. called a cost of attendance check. Mm. So if I'm at the University of Auburn, all right, and I got Auburn as a scout full scholarship, and I'm talking about the state of Alabama, and Alabama mm-hmm. State. If yeah. I go to Auburn, I know that I'm getting a check every month for at least $650. That's going into my pocket. Not to mention, I have my own training table, meaning the University of Auburn has their own dining facility strictly for the football team that's Mm -hmm. open 24-7. So I have unlimited access to food tailored just specifically for me Mm. and my body type, my blood type, all that stuff. So if I have to gain weight, that's for me. If I have to lose weight, they tailor the food just for me. Whereas Alabama State, I'm on my own. Or I got to get to the cab before they close at eight or nine. So that plays a big factor in a lot of kids making their decisions. But I think there are ways that HBCUs could work around that, you know, but it's going to take a lot of, I want to say, higher ups to be on the same page. And I think it could happen, but it's going to take some time. So I just want to say two words, Shannon Sharp. He oh irritates God, me. Oh my he God. irritates me. We are on the same page. Wait, what are you going to say about him? He irritates about me. his ability to come from an HBCU and be drafted. That's all I'm oh. saying. And what I, I'm speaking to Coach Burrell's point is that 
it's almost as if you go when you go to an HBCU, you got to be even better than the student athletes that go to a PWI. And people mm-hmm. don't realize that. In order to be drafted from an HBCU, you got to outshine even people that aren't even in your conference. And there's mm-hmm. a lot to be said for that. Um, I think also, let's not forget that although we're having this conversation about what HBCUs need to do, make no mistake about it, they can't, it can be done. The HBCUs can do it. We can do anything that PWIs can do. We just have to think about how to map that out and how to model that. I will say this, the CAF for the student athletes at Florida State is great. I got some really good free food there. Like those kinds of things really <laughs> make a difference. Like I stayed in there with the, with the bros, okay? Um, Right. So those things do matter. And the last thing I want to say back to KB's comment is that we should think about not just ourselves. Right. But I want to be clear. When I went to Florida State, I was thinking about others. I was thinking about what my mom was going to have to do if I chose to go to Spelman. And I wasn't going to do that to her or my brother or any of the people that were supporting me. I was fortunate enough to be able to go off to school and I wasn't going to make it any harder. I say that to say I'm thankful for Florida State and that free education because now it gives me an opportunity to do some things as an independent black scholar, as an independent woman for my family that I couldn't do if I was in debt. And and so I think we we have to think about we have to think about it in, in a real broad context and consider everybody's circumstances individually. But again, I wanted to go to an HBCU, I think though, but I think I still feel like I, I made the best choice and it, it has enabled me to do more than I could have done had I made a different choice. But don't act like we're going to be in debt. Like, we're not in debt. You're looking at three people who are not in debt, and they went to HBCUs. I'm talking about everybody's story, we, KB. We got academic scholarships, me. though. That's I'm talking about me. I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about anybody else. I'm just talking about Dr. White. Right. My experience. Just me. And everybody's experience is different. And I think that goes back to what Ashley was saying about we have to recognize our own privilege and what we have in our unique situation. Right. Because like, even for me where, you know, Ashley and Quentin mentioned that they were, that they both come from single family homes. I did as well. Like my parents divorced. I did too. I was four. Right. But what I'm saying is, is that, some, and I'm not saying this is their experience because I don't know, but also my father was very, was still very much a part of my life and my upbringing and the contribution to my education and my life. Everybody still doesn't have that story. So yeah. like everybody is different. And I think that's what Ashley was saying. Like your story is different from her story is different from my story is different from Quentin's story. So I think that's where we have to realize HBCUs and education in general is not one size fits all. And people yeah. really do have to kind of think about what works for them. And I think L2, you just have to have some humility in acknowledging your privilege. That's mm-hmm. all I'm saying. And we all, a lot of us came from single parent households, but I'm also a first generation college student. The other thing is this is not mm-hmm. like an oppression war. It's just saying different things fit for different people. And we got to be big enough to understand that. Right. And, and I got a lot of privilege that I could talk about. And I have a lot of privilege that I can't talk about because I didn't have. But we just got to respect everybody's choices and find ways to make HBCUs attractive and give them the infrastructure they need so that it's not even a question about where, where our students are going. That's what I and want. I, 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 think, I think that I would see that as a win. Yeah. yeah, that's it. And I think that's key because that's one thing that I think we we're missing, though, from HBCUs, because 
gonna be honest with you. I wish I would have went to an HBCU, but I just couldn't do it for what I wanted to be for the next five to seven years. So I ultimately had to basically make a business decision at 18 years old. But also, I think HBCUs, mm. like I said, I wish I went because of just the culture, the, the, the homely feel. But I think HBCUs need to recognize their weaknesses. And whatever their weaknesses are, they need to come together and turn those weaknesses into strengths. I think we, we, I think we use a crush of talking about, always talking about the culture, this, that, and the third. That's great. But when you get these kids, especially these student athletes on campus, you need to help them with other aspects other than just that, because they do have aspirations of hopefully going to the next level. Because like you said earlier in the conversation, the academics, in my opinion, is, is here. It's, 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 it's apples and oranges, in my opinion. But from an athletic standpoint, it's no comparison, especially when you're talking about football. Basketball is a different story, but football is no comparison at all. And that's that you can't even you can't even justify a kid that's supposedly a top recruit in the nation going to a Florida AM compared to a Florida State. But why not? Because wouldn't the recruiters just come where he is? That no, no. like it goes back to what you said about you going to a SWAC school or a MEAC school, they already have the notion of that you're going to a lower level, all right? So you got to dominate that. It's, I'm not saying it's right, but that's what those, the white people in the draft, that are scouts, because they don't know. They're, they don't know about the 70s, how we paved the way for the University of Alabama's. Though These scouts and these people that are GMs and everything, they are in their 30s, 40s, and 50s. So they don't know about 70s, FAMU's dynasty, Gramlin's dynasty. They don't know about that. They know about the late 80s, 90s, the Wisconsin's, the Florida States, those those type. So they're automatically looking at HBCUs as like, um, even from a coach around, they think, they call it jungle ball, some of them. I've heard that. They call it jungle, jungle ball. Are you serious? I've, I've, I've heard that. Yeah, so they, they don't think HBCU coaches are even grade A. So if you don't think that coaches are grade A, you're not going to think the players are grade A. Wow. So that's what okay. you, that's the Ashley, uphill battle that you're fighting. I just yeah. want to say real quickly to Coach Burrell's point and what everybody's saying, I need everybody to Google the Bear Bryant epiphany. The yep. moment in which Bear Bryant realized that he was not going to be able to succeed without black players. When he played a mm-hmm. team in California, yeah. I, I forget which, which team it was, USC? USC. Maybe? USC. And it was USC. He came up, he came up there thinking he was going to win that and got his behind eight up. By yep. USC, you know why? Because USC was already recruiting black players. Yeah. Okay, so mm-hmm. make no make no mistake that a lot of it is about what is good for the institution, and, and mm-hmm. so we got to deal with all these narratives and stereotypes that really aren't true, and and we got to look at the history of integration in football, in college sports, the way we look at the integration of everything else, because that wasn't Bear Bryant had to be forced to do that when his team lost. It was either pick up these black athletes. Illusion yep. legacy. Wow. I wish that you was point blank. Yep. So I have another question for you all. Um, so what can alumni and supporters of HBCUs do to help recruit these black athletes back home, as KB likes to say? What can we do to get the top talent coming back to our schools? 
Is there anything alumni can do or is it all on the school's administration? Make sure that you pay attention to these students before they get to college. This issue yes. starts in P through 12 and we didn't get to talk about disability, but this doesn't start with choosing a, a college. This starts in, in terms of how our black and brown boys, particularly our black and brown boys who have athletic ability are treated uh, in P through 12 and whether or not they're receiving the services they need um, to be academically successful before we let them out of P through 12. So that's where it starts. So pay attention to what's happening in your local school, school districts for one. Mm, I think also to exposure, exposure to not just taking young prospective student athletes to Florida State, also take them to Florida and them as well. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So now they can see both realms, but not just as their, let's say their 10th or 11th grade, expose them when they're early, expose them when they're in the fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade, and as they get older, so they can also do their own research. But it goes back to what I was saying. If you're going to expose them to stuff, you got to make sure you upgrade your stuff as well. Because y'all know it's different crossing train tracks going from Florida State and FAMU from a scenery standpoint. So we got to be, I'm not saying we got necessarily build the, the, the best building like, like Florida State might have, but we got to upgrade our stuff too from an academic standpoint, an athletic standpoint, so on and so forth to where, you know, we might, it might not compare, but it's, it's at least up to par to standards in today's society. Because a lot of kids, that's all they really want. They don't care. They, they, they don't really care about the more so the waterfalls and all that in your athletic facility, but they do want something. They don't want to see a weight room or a locker room or uh, even a field that hasn't been upgraded in over 20 plus years. Mm, point. Or a high school so, so, a football so, field is at the college like Howard. Right. So, so to answer your to answer your question about I'm sorry I know you got your hand up but to answer your question about what, what alumni need to do alumni need to continue on donating money donate but making sure say that again that coach they need to donate money but making sure that you donate your money to where it earmarks to wherever you wanted to go if you wanted to go right. to the school of sociology or, the, or the, to the athletic program and make sure your money is going to that to serve those student athletes or those band students or whoever, the biggest issue I see with HBCUs, and I'm going to be honest with you, is black folks. We are our own worst enemies because everybody has an agenda. It's not for FAMU, the whole university. It's not for Grambling or, you know, everybody says GramFam. Everybody has their own agenda. So I'm not donating money because I don't like this coach or I'm not donating money because I don't like this president. You know what I mean? So now everything gets diluted for what's the main goal. We're trying to enhance our university, both from an academic standpoint and an athletic standpoint. Now you don't want to donate your money because you have a personal uh, whatever against somebody. And I think that's one of the biggest issues with HBCUs is we have personal agendas. Nobody's nobody's on the same page. Yeah. And I I think PWIs, Alumni, they have a personal agenda too, but it doesn't over, it doesn't override like that black hole yes. of yep. it's like you go when you go to institutions like Florida State and Alabama, you get sucked into this black hole of alumni that you just like it it supersedes any issues you may have with individual entities within the institution. The other thing I want to say is pay attention to your federal and state policy and funding. Yes, especially when you're thinking about HBCUs that are public institutions like like Florida A and M, right? Mm-hmm. And so advocate if if y'all black folk are not in Tallahassee advocating for funding if you're not paying attention to federal funding and disbursement 
especially when you're dealing with HBCUs that are public institutions, you're also missing a piece of the pie because that is a big issue. Um, and there are disparities in what HBCUs receive versus what PWIs receive. And the only way you can stop that is by being in the face of lawmakers and letting them know that you know and you see the discrepancy. So is that a problem with our HBCUs not having the right people in administration to really lead that charge to make sure that we are at the forefront of those funds that's being distributed? I think it's also a structural issue. I don't think you, it's hard, right? Getting people to give money at a, at a federal and state level is, is real difficult. And so I can't mm-hmm. exactly lay it at the feet of administration only. I will say, though, that I learned playing around with policy on the Hill that in order to be savvy at it, you got to get in there and be there. And you got to aggravate your representatives and you got to tell them what you want and why you want. And you got to be on their necks. You vote for these people. They need to be funding money to what's important to their constituents. And so I will say it does require time and effort. Right. I know, for example, at PWIs, like here in Wisconsin, at Florida State, at USF, there's a whole department. There's a whole section developed like, specifically for advancing the policy agendas of their university. I don't know that that exists at HBCUs. I don't know. I'm not saying it doesn't. I just don't know. I can tell you who I can call at Wisconsin, who is in charge of making sure that Wisconsin's agenda, that USF's agenda, that Florida State's agenda is is recognized not only on a state level, but a federal level. There are people well, that's that- like lobbyists though, right? Is that like a lobbyist like group it, it, within the university? It's not, it's not lobbyists. I want to be very clear about that because I don't want to get myself in trouble. But, oh. but, just, but just, like, just like you have people that are responsible for everything else, you got to have people that at your university that are responsible for making sure that they are politically aware, aware of what's happening with funding at the state at the federal level. It's a job like anything else. And so I don't, I don't know if HBCUs have that. I'm not sure. But that's a real big component, too. They're um, normally called government liaisons. Exactly. Yes. Like, I think Bowie. That's State a cute has word for. Got it. Yeah, that's yeah. what. Yeah. I that's know Bowie State has somebody with that role. Okay. All right. Well, I, guess I mean, so. I, I, I really think the system, and I hate to be going another direction, but the system is set up for HBCUs. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. No, you can say that though, in, Coach. In, it's in it's of, true. Like, like in the, in the state of Louisiana, it goes back. Like in the state of Louisiana, like you need to have somebody that's a, that's that's down there that has a seat at that table that's going to fight for your HBCUs. Like in the state of Louisiana, you got Southern and Grambling, all right? Mm-hmm. It's a known fact that we're not getting a lot of state funding because we don't have enough people down there fighting for us, whether they don't have a seat at the table or we're not holding the people who said they wanted our votes. We're not holding them accountable. So we're not getting a lot of the state funding. Right. So where does that money come from? The, 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 the debt? Now we got to ask our alumni. We got to ask our such and such. So it's systematically set up for HBCUs to fail. And that's just point blank period. I think, right. in my opinion. Yeah. So I, I really feel like just kind of from this conversation, we need two major things, right? We need that person that's at that seat at that table, knocking on those doors, asking for funding for the university on a consistent and constant basis, right? But then you also need that alumni to step up and also donate. So it can be these two streams of revenue that are coming in to kind of help with that university and and what they're able to offer students and even student athletes. So I think that's a great way to kind of capture this in a nutshell. And I hope that this information is valuable to tell us where we need to go for the next steps. And I know, Ashley, we had talked about this offline. You had even said something as simple as joining the booster club. Like there's simple things that we can do as alumnus to 
help to propel our universities in different ways. I know the class of 2000, the incoming class of 2000, right now we have a major fundraiser going on. I think we just hit, can you tell me, L? we hit like- 150,000. But KB, I just want to say there's a third, there's a third tier to that, uh, f- uh, public funding, alumni, but also corporations. Oh, thank yes. you. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That is a breeding, corporations, Facebook, Instagram, these don't exist without, without college age students. So that's also something to think about and ponder. I think that's a great point because if you think about Twitter, what do we immediately think about when y'all say Twitter? Say it. Black Twitter. Oh. Oh, I, I was thinking white people, but okay. Oh God. Thank you. <laughs> our our production knew what I was saying. He typed in <laughs> black Twitter. So the reason I'm saying that is like when you talk about these corporations, we are the culture. We move the culture. We we are heavy spenders. So I think that's a great point because companies like Twitter. Facebook, like they should be funding a lot of our HBCUs. Because guess what? When Karen acts up on the street, who finds out who they are? Who? We do. Black, Black Twitter. That's so what she I, wanted us to say, Shug. You missed can it. I, can I ask y'all a question? Yes. Can I ask y'all a question? When y'all, when, when somebody, just a, a normal person who kind of knows about the HBCU realm, when they say FAMU, what's the first thing? They, what's, no, what's FAMU? What's the known thing for FAMU or whatever? Marching one hundred, marching one hundred, the band, sure. right? Yeah, mm-hmm. marching one hundred. So I think that you need competent leadership that knows whatever your strengths are for whatever HBCU that you're at. They need to try to continue on and enhance that, and it goes back to even just like you said, corporations. Like we had Beyonce do a whole little deal for us mm-hmm. with our with our band within her homecoming deal. Oh, like really? if you want to do that, yes, that's yes. leverage that we got to capitalize on. You know yeah. what I mean? Whether well, we, we do a partnership with her, where she's donating money. Hell, we give her an honorary degree or whatever. Thank but you. Those type of corporations, you got to leverage that to propel your university. Like when you think of Gramlin, the first thing you think of is Gramlin football mm-hmm. because of Eddie Robinson. Eddie Robinson, yeah. So if, if 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 you know football is your cash cow, why not enhance your cash cow? Because that's going to enhance your university. Prime example, we won the Black College, Black College National Championship in 2016. Our enrollment, regular enrollment went up, I want to say like almost 20%. So we went from, I want to say four or 5,000 students to that very next year, we had like over seven, 8,000 students just because mm-hmm. of exposure, playing on ESPN, playing on such and such. Now that we're getting the media attention. So now... To me, if you're uh, any person of leadership, whether you're at FAMU or Gremlin, I need to enhance that. I need to enhance my athletics facilities. I need to enhance my what you call it, because now that's going to attract those top tier kids. Where now they can be like, well, oh, man, shoot, Gremlin winning. Gremlin's winning. They're playing on TV. I got a shot to go to the uh, to the league because we had two guys that played in the NFL off that team that got Mm -hmm. drafted. So now I need to enhance that if I'm in leadership. To me, that's that's, that's good business. Yes, ma'am. Also, statistically, people don't know this, but institutions like Florida State, Alabama, that have these wonderful, wonderful Division I football entities, they, that is, first of all, it it is football and sometimes basketball that pays for all of the other sports, right? Mm -hmm. The sports that are lesser okay? So when you're talking about sports where there are predominantly Black athletes, they are paying for the sports where there are not predominantly Black athletes. Second of all, Mm -hmm. statistically, schools that have well-grounded and successful football teams actually get 
a higher tier of applicants in terms of GPA. In essence, smart kids, kids who have good GPAs like going to schools with great football teams. So, so what Coach Perrell is saying is when you capitalize off that, it's like a trickle down effect, right? You want better students? They like, they like good football. They, they like all that. It's like they like the band, right? And so make it work to your advantage. Yeah. These are all excellent points. Yeah. I think this is a great conversation. We have to have you guys back on because we want to discuss some other issues that are around this, this area of education, race, and um, athletics. So especially with COVID-19 and people about to lose their mind. And, and I know like... Disability. Well, Oh, yes. And disability. Well, we want to talk more about that. How does that disability play? I think that's a whole nother yes. conversation, right? I think, and I think that's a good one. So let's do that again. You know, listen, we capping these, we catching these people and they, they on the up and up because uh, they about to take off both of them. So I'm excited that we get to say we had them on. We Thank have you. someone. I got, I got, I got one, I got two more points, actually. Oh, yeah. With the, with the disabilities. And I, it goes back to kind of what we were talking about at the beginning as far as infrastructure. And resources like I, I recently read an article where you're talking about the academic piece of they, they compared the University of Alabama compared to Alabama State and Alabama and because they was doing the state of Alabama in their academic in their student af- athletes. They had 19 people that were strictly just for academics for the University of Alabama At Alabama and they had three for then they had to cover all sports. Alabama had 19 and that was just for football. Wow. So that lets you know the disparity when you're talking about disabilities. And if I'm a parent and my child has the opportunity to go to Alabama where he, I don't know, I'm just guessing, but he's probably going to be provided the resources from an academic standpoint. Now, whether they're doing his work or not, that's, that's another topic. But they're at least going to provide him with the resources because he maybe let's say he got ADD or whatever. You know what I mean? They're going to have more eyes on my child compared to these three people who got to cover all these athletics at Alabama and or Alabama State. That's to me, that's what makes it more of a business decision these days with these parents and kids compared to you just trying to just ride this wave of a trend or whatever. You know, I got to see some improvement before I, I can say my son could commit to Alabama and m or my son could commit to Howard. That kid that's going to Howard. He's going to Howard because he has leverage already. Y'all got to think the NCAA starting, I think next year, these kids have the rights to their likeness. So they're basically, basically finna get started getting paid, paid. Mm -hmm. Because if you see a poster, if I see a a commercial, I see a billboard with with my name on it, that's, that's money in my pocket now. As it should be. Exactly. But that kid, basketball and football are two different dynamics. That kid that's going to Howard, He's nine times out of 10 going to be a top five pick, whether he went to Howard or Oregon anyway. Mm-hmm. I guarantee you that kid is not going to be at Howard no longer than a year. So he has the leverage to go to an HBCU. He couldn't do that if he was at football. But, Point doesn't blank, that, but doesn't that go back to what Ashley alluded to about Shannon Sharp? Because he, when he was talking about his coach and he was talking about attending Savannah State, he, he was concerned if recruiters were going to come see him or not. Mm-hmm. And his coach basically said, if you're talented, they're going to come to you. That's what I feel like. Right. But, and, he, but, and he jumped. Go ahead. Go, I'm sorry. Oh no, but, but 
But remember, Shannon Sharp's experience is not everyone's experience. Very true. And Very so true. We, we take these anomalies and say, well, everybody should do that, right? And you you just you just can't do that. And he's an extreme he was an extremely talented player. And there probably are a lot of players that PWIs that could go and dominate and do the same thing, but there are other factors. Like you gotta consider who are your mentors, what are the risk factors, um, what are you going there with? You know, there there are all these contextual nuances that you really got to think about before you just look at one person's experiences and say, well, they did it. So everybody else should do it. The other thing is don't be confused back to the quality of academics at HBCUs. Don't confuse quantity with quality. When you want right. to examine how well these students, so I love, I am a Florida state alumni. I rep Florida state. I am thankful for what it gave me, but please understand the last time we won the national championship, make no mistake about it. The graduation rates for our student athletes were dismal probably the worst that they had been in a long time, the year we won, okay? So I say that to say, pay attention to graduation rates between black, and you can read my dissertation chapter three if you're interested, but <laughs> all in there about statistical disparities between black and white student athletes, particularly in football, right? Forget how many people you have helping them. Who's graduating? Who's coming out with a degree? Who's coming out with That's information in their back pocket so that in the event that they don't make it to the NFL or whatever, or they decide they want to leave, that they can do other things. Like, check out those graduation rates. Check out the incoming um, GPA rates and, and test score rates of students that are coming in, right? Check out the number of waivers that students with disabilities, black and brown athletes, are getting in order to play at these institutions before we start talking about the quality of the education. Because when you start looking at the numbers, it don't look so good. I even think too. I think it, 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 it also depends on the institution, though, too. Yeah. Because I know at Notre Dame, you know Notre Dame. Oh, that's a whole different, though. Wait a minute, Notre Dame is <laughs> academically Notre Dame cannot be touched. You can't even go there. Like, <laughs> wait a minute. No, no, no. They can't I'm, be touched. I would, Don't like we ain't got it together. KB, I'm I would know about no, no, PWIs. PWIs. Okay, I let that okay. go. Okay. <laughs> what I'm saying is, Florida State, Alabama. Oh, I have been able to get into Notre Dame if it hadn't been for football. Because I didn't have a high enough ACT score to get in as a regular academic student. Yeah. So, you know, I I, I completely agree with you. But I graduation rate was... Like, Notre Dame is like Princeton, Harvard, Stanford. Like, there's... It's two totally different conversations. I'm not not talking about HBCUs, KB. That's not what I'm saying. Oh, okay. (laughs) Be clear. Be clear. I just wanted to make sure everybody was on the same page. I don't want you to come through the camera and slap me. I'm not talking about HBCUs, okay? We sisters. So again, we want to thank Ashley and Coach Burrell for joining us because yes. we could be here all day and all. Yes, night because talking, listen, I'm sorry. We're going to bring you all back. L, I, I want to mention, like, we definitely got to bring them back because we really even want to talk a little bit about that unspoken racism that exists even in the PWI. So I, PWI, it does. It, it, it does. Okay, back, it, and so you know even. About. Yeah, like even coach, you making a comment earlier about, you know, HBCUs being considered jungle ball. Like that's something that we definitely need to tap into where you have these things that, you know, that you guys have so clearly outlined as reasons why someone would still choose a PWI over an HBCU. I just, at the end of the day, I want to think about those other pieces too and why you would want to go for an HBCU. So thank you again. Uh, L, take it away. Thanks, guys. So for our So Gifted and Black segment, we are highlighting the month of August because it is Black Business Month. 
So Black Business Month was actually created in 2004 by John William Templeton and Frederick E. Jordan Sr. And the original intent was to drive the policy agenda impacting more than 2 million African-American businesses. So make sure that you are supporting a Black business this month. Actually, I'm supporting three within the next two weeks. So bam. So again- Diner. Eh, whatever. Listen, I love supporting a black business. I need to start of my own black business, but that's a conversation for another day. Wait, Doctor White, did y'all say Shiner when y'all was online? Ah, uh, yeah, I was down the street yes. from us. Yes, 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 yes. Oh, Shiner. Yes, okay, sorry. Yes, yes, we did. Yes, we did. <laughs> yes, we did. Doctor White, I'm ignoring KB because she's being a hater right now. That's all I have to say. I, I understand, L. I have known her a long time. I get it. <laughs> it is what it is. You, you take her as she is, and that's what it is. Exactly. Can't do nothing with her at all. Oh, you so again, we want to thank our guests for joining us. But this has been a great episode. Yeah. I thoroughly enjoyed myself. And thank you for having us. Thank you for that. Yeah, appreciate it, man. Anytime. I'm I'm, I'm, I'm down for all this. I like stuff like this. So. Yay! Perfect. <laughs> so we're definitely going to bring you all back. Thanks for joining us. <laughs>